glass here, people. Hey, did you hear something? No. Hmm. Did I? I don't know. Hey, it's Simpsons time. Today I'm going to talk about episode number 40, Homer Defined. Directed by Mark Kirkland, who is the most prolific of the Simpsons directors. I may have already mentioned that in a previous Simpsons time. And written by Howard Gewurz who was a veteran sitcom writer uh, and had also worked on It's Gary Shandling's show with uh, Al Jean and Mike Reese, along with other many other sitcoms. He knew his way around the script by the time he got to The Simpsons. Though, having said that, uh, I do feel like this episode is paced very well up until the end, at which point it ends abruptly. Um, not to say that I have a problem with that, just that it's a the structure of, the, of an episode that is unusual in The Simpsons. We have had the running gag of Homer's picture in the dictionary that has always been a fantasy. You know, he's imagining that um, until the very end when we see that the entry to pull a Homer, meaning to succeed despite idiocy, is actually in the dictionary. You zoom out and you see the family closing the book. It is really delightful and it is superbly done. It's just unusual that there wasn't just one more little quiet joke after that or, you know, something else lasting between 15 and 30 seconds before the uh, episode completely ended. But so much happens in this episode that uh, we can understand that it ends abruptly. 
This is, of course, the episode where Homer averts a meltdown totally by mistake when he's at work. And then he does it again at the Shelbyville plant where he happens to be because he's invited to give a speech there by the Shelbyville nuclear plant owner, Aristotle Amidopoulos, voiced expertly by John Lovitz, uh, who also has a really great bit part on the soap opera that Marge is watching. Um, in you know, just sort of tossed into the middle of the beginning of the episode. Marge has to be watching something on TV so that it can be interrupted by the news and Kent Brockman announcing that the meltdown is imminent. And the thing she's watching is a soap opera called Search for the Sun. where a guy is seducing his secretary uh, and the boss is voiced by John Lovitz. And it really makes me laugh. Like this time, reviewing this episode to talk about it, that's the thing that really made me laugh. <laughs> Mr. Devereaux, I can't work under these conditions. Have it your way, baby. You're fired. And then they start to make out and he's like, oh, Avery. And he goes, call me Mr. Devereaux. <laughs> and that's John Lovitz. And it's like a very John Lovitz-y way to deliver that line. So yeah, this is not the last time that this happens, of course. Uh, it becomes a very prominent theme in the show that Homer can't do his job and um, the nuclear secrets are not safe with him and the danger of living near a nuclear power plant is completely exacerbated every second of every day for the people of Springfield because Homer Simpson is the safety inspector. I'm reminded very much of the dog, the hound dog <laughs> that does Homer's, like pushes the button or pulls the lever for Homer in a different episode. Meltdown averted, good boy. But this is a big deal because it's the first time that something really dire is going to happen to the town because of Homer's ineptitude. Um, and yeah, it's perfect that he doesn't even know that it's his problem until he wipes away the donut filling uh, that is obscuring the gauge of his safety console. When he finally does that, that's when he sees that the needle is pinned to oh shit level. One little quibble, one little UFM that I have 
about those donuts, though, is in the beginning, Homer's sticking his finger into each donut to see which one he wants. And he uh, bypasses a bunch of different flavors before going for his first choice purple. Um, and I feel like the Homer of subsequent seasons would just have eaten all the donuts. Like he would not uh, have turned up his nose at lemon or custard or cherry. He would have just eaten them. And I do think about little details like this. Like maybe lemon he would bypass, but the, the other ones he would just eat. Like maybe all at once. However, the uh, grossness of him touching and, you know, piercing all the donuts with his finger is extremely in keeping with his character of subsequent seasons. Before I get any further into this Simpsons time, I must mention that there's a guest voice in this besides John Lovitz, and it's Magic Johnson, which is awesome, and it was a very big score to have him. And he's very funny. <laughs> At the end when he says, looks like I pulled a homer of my own or something like that. It's very good. I like also that he's the voice of reason, even as he's like play. He's in the middle of playing a game. Um, but he sees fit to call Homer to congratulate him for preventing a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> And Homer, racked with guilt, asks uh, his advice, you know, and veils it. You know, he doesn't confess to him, but he says, like, what if everyone is touting somebody as a hero, but it turns out that they were actually just lucky? Magic Johnson says, don't worry, Homer. Sooner or later, people like that are exposed as the frauds they are. <laughs> and then he goes back to playing the game. This is a good example of Golden Age Simpsons having extremely famous people come in for guest voices, uh, but not be prominent parts of the episode. You know, just be, have them, this appearance by Magic Johnson uh, did not have the episode revolve around it. It was just a delightful surprise, like, dropped into the middle of it. And that's the way those uh, guest voices tended to be in the beginning. Because the writers were just so crazy. They, they were so full of integrity for their vision, for their script, that they didn't want it, uh, the guest appearance to be too distracting which I admire so much. 
There's a subplot here, which in the 2017 world of Simpsons watching and appreciating would seem a bit dull until we realize, you know, that this kind of thing had not been explored before that much. The subplot is that Millhouse's mom doesn't want him to play with Bart anymore. So Bart is alienated from him. This is before Bart starts to get a little sick of Millhouse. This is when Millhouse is still like quite sought after <laughs> in Bart's social group. And it turns out that uh, he had a party and Bart was not invited. And Bart finds this out on the school bus as he's giving Milhouse his birthday present, which is a walkie-talkie set that they're supposed to use together. And Bart is very endearing here where he's completely clueless about uh, the seriousness of this um, ban. First in the bus seat when Milhouse is trying to change the subject on him. Milhouse is like unusually wily in this one. Of course they were still working out the character of Milhouse but he's uh, he changes the subject and he's like you know instead of talking about the party, goes, hey, Bart, look at that dog. Isn't that something? <laughs> and Bart totally, like, adorably falls for it. Wow, brown, he says. By the way, that uh, drawing of that dog is wonderful. I don't think it's even animated. Like, the dog is just sitting there still. But I would like to see that bootlegged and, you know, I would buy that pin of that brown dog just sort of standing there looking bored. And then later on, uh, after Milhouse is forced to come clean to him, Bart pulls a trick uh, in the lunchroom where he makes him pour salt all over his whole chicken leg. And Bart's like, haha, all right, there you go. Now we're even for your party. You know, he thinks that like everything's gonna be normal after that. But it's not, and it results in an early look at Luann Van Houten. Uh, this is, you know, her pre-divorce with her prim Mormon style dress and extremely prim and proper mom voice which of course she never loses but the attitude changes and it does make me laugh like how extremely polite Luann is in the status quo world of season three 
Because Marge appears at her doorstep and, you know, says... That she's Bart's mom and they met earlier when the boys drank paint when they met at the emergency room. <laughs> and Luann goes, yes, I remember. Please come in. <laughs> uh, and, you know, of course, Marge talks her down. We're treated to a view out the window of Milhouse sitting on the seesaw by himself. Not even the only time that Milhouse is seen, sadly, occupying playground equipment by himself. It's almost a trope with him. And so that convinces her, and then they're friends again, and that's the whole subplot. It's the little touches that made it enduring. It's too bad we never got to see Milhouse's party, because <laughs> it sounds like it was a pretty good one. Even Otto went. Um... But yeah, the big, big story very much contrasted with this quiet B-plot is the meltdown. The whole sort of China Syndrome-esque thing that is starting to happen and uh, all the experts that are brought on in the news, including Frank with his diagram of who will be killed and, you know, how horrendously, depending on which uh, death circle they're in. And while this is happening, uh, Burns is donning his radiation suit, and there is no, there is no radiation suit for Smithers. Um, and he says, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but kiss my sorry ass goodbye. And I want to mention that because I remember it as him saying, but not ass. And I'm curious to see if anyone else remembers it that way. It's one of these weird Mandela effect things. Like, I have seen him say ass before, but I feel like there was a time when he said butt, and I just, I don't know how to explain that away. Of course, neither one is particularly characteristic of him to say. He would say rump or something like that. Um, and, you know, of course, the classic Smithers line follows, where he offers to do the honors of kissing Burns' ass goodbye. As they're figuring out that the meltdown is going to happen and that Homer is in charge of it, Smithers tells Burns that Homer was hired under Project Bootstrap, which we learn was a Ford initiative. And I feel like that is great. That, uh, you know, it makes even more sense. We talked about uh, Two Bad Neighbors a little while ago. It makes even more sense that Ford and Homer would later get along because that's the President Ford is the reason why Homer has his job. 
Everyone's freaked out. People are praying. Homer saves the day by going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Uh, not before digging up his old Rubik's Cube while he's looking at, you know, looking for the instructions. Of course, we all always love the slightly younger Homer that we see in these flashbacks where he has just a receding hairline and is not completely bald. So this happens, he gets to be employee of the month for once and Smithers isn't and that is another thing that's established that is picked up on later in the series. Um, the idea that Smithers can be resentful of Homer whenever he has a rare moment in the sun at work. But yeah, he gets to have the parking space right next to Burns and, you know, everyone really appreciates him. And Amadopoulos, who I already mentioned, invites him to speak at Shelbyville. I think it's great that these two towns that are like right next to each other both have nuclear power plants, by the way. This is such a stuffed, packed episode. Really, there are so many scenes. Uh, I'm thinking about Homer delivering his speech, or starting to, at the Shelbyville plant and having to picture everyone in their underwear, including himself, because he's nervous. Um, but that means that there was a scene in Moe's where Barney gave him that pep talk and urged him to picture everyone in their underwear. Um, there is a crowd shot that has become pretty well known in the shitposting community. Uh, while Homer is starting to speak on the stage at the Shelbyville plant. Uh, you just see a crowd shot of a bunch of people who, of course, we have never seen before and never will see again um, because they work in Shelbyville. And one of those people is a woman with a weird duck face. He, does, he has sort of like a bill instead of a nose. And she's only seen for like a second, but it's very noticeable. The duck face woman. I don't know if she has a name, <laughs> but she probably has a nickname by now. So yeah, he gets, you know, like one word into his speech before the same meltdown alarm sounds. And he is called upon to perform his heroic act again. And so then he has to reveal... that he just did eeny, meeny, miny, mo. So then, you know, in typical Simpsons fashion, he who was 
exalted so high, is now the laughingstock of the whole town and the subject of ridicule on TV and elsewhere. Uh, Barney says that he has pulled a homer when he just by chance finds a pretzel on the floor. <laughs> um, Magic Johnson pulls a homer, a callback to his appearance, where he slips on liquid on the floor of the court and it results in him scoring and the Lakers winning and him being catapulted, uh, slid across the floor into a pile of cheerleaders. Let us not forget that part. We even see Scott Christian here. And I just, can I just say, since I have the opportunity, I love Scott Christian and his weird Lego helmet hair <laughs> and his sort of boring and bored expression. I'm Ken Brockman and those were my two cents. Now let's take it back to Scott Christian with laugh and a half. <laughs> So amid this barrage of ridicule that Homer is suffering, where everyone is saying like, ha ha, I'm pulling a Homer, da da da. Um, the episode ends with the aforementioned dictionary page. And there even is a little, you know, cross-hatchy black and white drawing of Homer in his classic, you know, wall-eyed, stupid expression. Uh, and it's great. Up until... Now there were, I think, three other shots of that where Homer was imagining himself next to stupid in the dictionary and then next to lucky. Maybe it's only the two. That's enough. Rule of threes, right? Yeah, and that is Homer Defined. I really enjoyed this episode. The last thing I'll say is uh, I really like the kids ducking and covering under the desk. And Skinner, even as everyone in the school and him are about to die is smug because <laughs> because he gets to say I told you so that the duck and cover method was actually a practical thing to teach. This has been Simpsons Time. Thank you so much for listening to Simpsons Time today. Webster's new collegiate dictionary. La 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 la. Webster's new collegiate dictionary. La 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 la. Page 498. And this is Spanky and our gang with five definitions of love here on the Simpsons Time podcast. Simpsons Time through the debigulator. 
My name is Amanda Nazario. I am excited that you listen to this podcast from WFMU. And I bid you adieu for now. I'll be back next week with a different Simpsons episode to talk about. And next week it will be a much later season. Not a current season. We're already 10 years past the one that I'm going to talk about. Um, But it is much more recent than Homer Defined. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Hope you have a great week. And um, all good thoughts to you. Bye.